Welcome to Big Questions, Little Time. Conversations on sustainable development. We can all agree that we need to find solutions to the societal challenges we're faced with, and we need to find them now. But how do we actually do that? Here at Copenhagen Business School, the Center for Business and Development Studies and the CBS Sustainability Center have joined forces to bring in international thought leaders from a wide variety of fields and disciplines. Following the same structure for each episode, we wish to critically explore if, how, and under which conditions any given approach can bring about change and sustainable development. Big Questions, Little Time refers not only to the urgency for us to find possible solutions, but also the limited time frame for each episode. Hi, Isabel. And hi, Mikkel. Thank you both so much for joining me today for this episode of Big Questions, Little Time, where we'll talk about public sector innovation, if, how, and under which conditions it can actually contribute to sustainable development. So before we take the deep dive into the topic of today's episode and really work with the nitty-gritty of how this can work, under which conditions, what the limitations also might be, Mikkel, I'd like to ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself, because you're the practitioner, if we want to call it as such, of, of today's episode. You're working with this in practice at Copenhagen Municipality, but you're not a stranger in the hallways of Copenhagen Business School. You're working on the Beacon Project, or Behavioral Insights for a Circular Society Project, to be more accurate. So, Mikkel, tell us a little bit about yourself. So uh, currently I'm uh, head of division at uh, the municipality of Copenhagen in the culture and leisure department. I've been working with public sector innovation in many forms in many years. Uh, most of my career I've spent in, in government institutions and on national level and local level uh, with a few kind of branches out to entrepreneurships. But I think the, the idea about like how to create societal change has been like an ongoing theme for everything I've done. And one of the things that always kind of uh, been a core in, in my approach is, is very much related to what we're doing in Beacon is, is kind of stretch the limits of what the public sector can do. And the Beacon project with its focus on behavior fits into um, uh, some of the new goals uh, that the municipality of Copenhagen has set for behavior, the climate-friendly behavior for people in Copenhagen. And we're going to talk a lot more about this today. But uh, the interesting thing about this is it's like way out of, you know, traditional government control to actually change people's behavior and inspire them, especially on a municipal level. Thank you. Thank you so much. Isabel, you're somewhat of, I would like to call you our in-house practitioner, if that's okay with you, because you have a very long track record of working with this public sector innovation, both from an academic perspective, but also very hands-on through the projects and through the work that you're doing. And um, Mikkel has already talked about this uh, behavioral insights and um, and interventions that can change um, behavior of, of citizens. But you're also working with this very much in uh, in the context of, of urban development and sustainability and um, also with um, with play and service design. So can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Thank you, Sarah. So yeah, so right now I'm an assistant professor here at CBS. I've been here for the last five years. I teaching on strategic innovation and design thinking, but also on service design and behavior. But I work primarily with uh, youth-funded projects, dealing with a 
wide array of topics, but yeah, looking primarily at the aspects of some type of development, some type of sustainable business model to, to keep that happening, but also uh, bringing the different stakeholders, groups, yeah, to come together and talk because that's the only way things happen. So, yeah, so, yeah, it's this kind of this combination of the public, the private, the civil, you know, that comes all, all in play. Yeah, now you're already talking about what it takes for these public sector innovations to actually work. But if we take a step back for our listeners who might not have that much experience with what public sector innovation might actually be, or probably most of us have experience with it, but we might not be aware of it to that extent. But how would you then define public sector innovation or what are typical examples of it? Great question. Throughout my career, I've worked on like projects or in initiatives at one all kind of level. So you had like strategic designs, like how could you make the public sector innovation uh, organizations more innovative and down to the practical level, how can we make small changes in, you know, everyday life? I mean... Uh, I'm not the academic, so the definitions of what is innovation is, is I would leave to Isabel, I guess. <laughs> but the idea of bringing or the, the concept of bringing about change is, is what we're kind of dealing with at our place. And this means that innovation can be radical innovation or it can be incremental innovation. It doesn't really matter. For us, the, the, I think it's the day-to-day -day, like change in, in, in the results of the policy or the initiatives the public sector makes that would call it innovations, things we haven't done before. But what is it really interesting is what Isabel is touching upon is that public sector innovation is more about the role of the public sector driving change in collaboration with other sectors than just innovating public sector services. So there's a little bit of, of difference there. The latter thing is very difficult as well, but if we look at the big problems, for example, what the theme is today about sustainability, public sector innovation for me is more about like how can the public sector take a leading role in trying to change, take some of these wicked problems and, and kind of solving them. Yeah, and I, yes, I agree. I think it's, um, and thank you, Miguel. I think it's exactly this, Re-understanding actually of the role of the public sector, right? The public sector obviously holds everything together, but public sector can be can lead, like change, and that can be through policies, through recommendations, so on, uh, or participating in projects. You know, being an active, taking an active role in this, like saying, okay, we want to try this out, so let's see how it goes. But, it, I mean, on the other side, it could also be something that refrains, like that, you know, doesn't allow for things to happen. So I think it's very important that the public sector has uh, an active role and the role should be towards change and towards this facilitation for innovation, for whatever models need to be implemented. And I, I actually talked about this yesterday in the class when people are talking about novel business models and new things and I think you know I don't I don't know if the, the word is novel as such but maybe uh, what it is is a different uh, restructuring right is it's looking at these wicked problems and thinking can we recombine or can we re resettle a little bit or changing this here a little bit there but having this kind of recombination towards a different result 
which sometimes doesn't necessarily mean such a, a radical innovation, but we would allow for kind of new formats. I would say the format might be new. I still struggle a little bit with the word new because I do think that most things have been done before some way or somewhere, you know, we don't have that map, but still. Yeah, and that's, I think, what's the... So the role of the public sector is super important because without them, like, you will, like, have, like, limitations, right? But a simple example here in Copenhagen that we have is the... Some having in some garbage cans, just having the space outside for the bottles, right? For the pent, right? This was like something just to put on the side of the garbage cans. I mean, to help or to provide some a more humane approach to something that was happening already, which is that people were collecting these bottles from the garbage, But this is a more humane aspect if you can collect these bottles that are or cans or whatever they're outside, you know, and they're feeding the same purpose. It's a little thing, but from a humanitarian perspective, I think it it's really of great impact for those people who are having to deal with that, for example. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a good example, I think, in many ways. But I, I, for me, it's to change makes the impact. It often starts with the small initiatives and then the system can kind of gain the knowledge to see what kind of systemic change it will call for to actually scale this one way or the other. Beacon is an example also. Um, we did this intervention in um, Festivelo, which is a big festival connected to the Tour de France Grand Depart uh, in the summer about uh, vegetarian food and how we can you know, nudge people into choosing a non-meat option. But one of the major finds, interesting for me, was how the city deals with the vendors that we hire to do this. So, I mean, the goal is is to maybe get some insights about, like, what price point people would pay for non-meat options. But the real insights for us is, like, wow, the tendering process creates a lot of limitations for us to actually have an impact. And for me, these kinds of takeaways, we can actually make policy on a lot easier. And then we can see, okay, then we can start to change it. But if I've started the other way around and said why well, the tendering process is a problem and didn't have the examples to show for it, then it wouldn't be able to to create something. So collaborations with CBS, we're working on an EU project called Centrino about uh, sustainable city development. It's all about gathering the, the evidence or the insights that we can actually present in some kind of aggregated form and and have the validity that would actually make you know politicians, but also just higher level public servants, uh, you know, directors and so, get the insights that actually wants to change something in there. Mm -hmm. So how I understand you, Mikkel, it's very important, these collaborations with researchers to have the evidence base mm. to have the backing for actually making policy changes, right? But do you also have some examples where this simply doesn't work out? Yes, I mean, or it's hard. I would say it's very hard. It's It's like, it's too, when we look at Uh, the scientific community, it could be CBS, it could be anyone else, and the public sector community, it's like totally different domains in many ways. Like the core business for researchers is, and you have to correct me if I'm like uh, rephrasing it or being a little too, um, I don't know, crass in the description, but it's to gain knowledge, right? And to, to, to be able to, to gain some knowledge that can be published one way or the other. And it, it puts a lot of limitations on what you can do because basically you want to set on laboratories. And we're dealing 
as a municipality with like just creating some change. And those things are very different. I mean, for us to just make something happen is very difficult. You know, creating a, a let's have a canteen. Let's just keep in the beacon project. Let's just to have a tender that actually switches towards less meat based offers on the menu is very hard. They won't apply for the tenders. It's it's just we have to spend a lot of time to do that. And then you have a scientific community that basically wants to compare uh, some vendor who wants to do like a non-meat option and one who does a meat option, but we don't have the ones doing the non-meat options. So for me, that's that's really hard because we, we live in a very complex world or deal with a very complex world and to kind of fit that into a laboratory is, is very different. Mm. But when it works, you gain some insights. That's really interesting. Yeah, You've already mentioned this before also in regards to the festival, that this tendering process, that that is so difficult. What's difficult about this? If we talk about domains and or main interests of different groups, if you're a small vendor and you want to run a, a restaurant, a cafe or a, a food stall somewhere, it's just basically, it's just, it's so hard to get by. So you need to deal in money. And I mean... Everybody wants to participate in the green transformation, but it's just far down on the agenda list for many people. They want to serve some food and need to make some money. And we can put all these demands in and people will still focus on trying to um, to make some money. And And it's maybe a good example to how we deal with this complexity because how do we actually approach these people in a way so we can feed their economic uh, um, demands but at the same time also push them a little bit. That is uh, very much the day-to-day -day problems we, we face. Mm. Now, you've already touched upon this also in regards to um, the different agendas for um, for parties, say, for the municipality or for researchers, or in this case, for possible vendors. And Isabel, you have this track record of these huge EU projects where you also have these multi-partners, multi-stakeholder initiatives. How do you make this work? Well, I think so. there is a, a few aspects in your talk and I'm here thinking because, again, as I said, like the public sector can be a facilitator, as you mentioned. I mean, you need the tangible aspect. I mean, in that sense, I'm more a practitioner than a... I don't like lab experiments, to be honest, if I can... <laughs> because I think life happens in the real world. You know, life happens. People are complicated. We are complex beings. And no matter, even though there are different like goals with the different groups and these different vendors as you're putting here the chain is so much bigger right the chain is so much bigger because you can, then you have to look okay why then they cannot make this offer and you're doing this other offer so you look okay where they're getting their produce from right who's getting the subsidies for this produce so you have so it's the as you say in portuguese the hole is a lot lower right like you have to go deeper but if you do look at this whole chain then you can say okay we spend this amount of money in the subsidies for this group of producers we're going to dedicate some of this money to help also to these vendors so they can make another choice right so you you have i mean it's, it's, it's still the same money you're not saying about bringing your money from somewhere else 
you're still doing using the same amount of money. You're just redistributing it differently for a new trial, for a, a different perspective. Uh, so in the way that we do this in these projects is exactly to bring all these people to talk together. Because it makes... So if the public sector needs to take some decisions, because if they just say, we're going to cut this uh, subsidy here and to focus on that, there will be a huge backlash from these groups and from other groups. So then we have a problem, right? And this, and people are just start going against each other. That's not what you want. You want people to go with each other. You want people to talk to each other and to understand this kind of new demands. Obviously, people are looking at what's in for me in that, right? And there are other different perspectives that you have to bring on the table that are not necessarily directly to their, you know, how much money they're going to make in the end of, of the day, but it's exactly more in terms of like other aspects, you know, if you, this can then finance other things in there, municipalities and so on. So, so there are other gains. So again, you have to bring the different people together. You have to make sure that everyone has to have the time and the space to have their voices heard, but that they can start to understand the issues, you know, that they also feel that they are part, they're as much part of the, they're part of the problem, but they're also part of the solution, right? And that doesn't mean that that's going to be a, a huge impact loss or change in their daily lives, you know. Uh, this past few days, I read this article about that we need to change the narrative of climate. And I agree. I think it's, there's this goals much bigger. It's no, because... Yes, one can have one footprint, another one. That's a good way of saying it's it's your problem. It's not my problem, right, from a governmental perspective. And it's not like that. We know this. And we know this exactly because if this some policies are passed through, you then have a different change, right? And we are seeing this. I mean, in these projects, we... I'm not going to say the process is easy, you know, like it's not like a walk in the park. It's not a walk in the park. Uh, it's more like a playground with like with lots of children at the same time. Everyone wants to use this slide, you know, wants to go down this slide and that's fine. But we're going to let each and everyone go down that slide and we're going to make sure that they all wait for the others in the end, you know, and kind of create that flow. But I believe in the power of communication. I do believe that. I think that's extremely important. I do think that people are empathic by nature in their vast majority. And the perspective that when it's good for everyone, it's better for everyone, is really something that I deeply believe in. And that's kind of what we see in this project, that there is also this idea of like, okay, that's what we have to bring together. We have to reconceptualize growth, right? I mean, I think it's important as well. And that's also another narrative that, they needs, that needs to be taken upon. So that's one of them that we also do in these projects. So very interesting, Isabel. And it opens for a lot of uh, other reflections. I try to put some of them uh, on my notes here by, because uh, to remember some of them. I think what you touched upon about communication uh, and also the translation between sectors are really interesting for me because I find that to the wicked problems, you find the solution in between these sectors and the way of speaking into the, I talk about the domains, the logics and translate this, but also create the trust 
which is really interesting. So you have this idea about organizations. It could be a university. It could be a municipality. That in these, as soon as you're in the same uh, department administration, you're kind of on the same team and you have a common goal and stuff like that. It kind of comes with the organization. But you need to build the same kind of trust between organizations. I mean, it, it comes down to could you pick up the phone and basically call somebody uh, who's a collaborator in a different organization and air your doubts and your you know your your lack of knowledge and your you know your frustrations and the way you cannot communicate uh, or you cannot get forward with a project or do you need to kind of you know present yourself as best possible always because if it's the latter then you are like already um, you're already f- failing the project and it's also with the public and all these different things. And I think that's another thing that comes into play when you talk about this, which is, for me, often not regarded that much when we talk about innovation. It's power. I think power is a, such an interesting concept to kind of put together with innovation because I've used to say to a lot of people that when you talk about innovation, you do two things that really collides with what traditional management is. You take away the possibility to define a problem and to define a solution of the problem and take it outside. You give it to the citizens or you use def- uh, specific methods or something like that to work with it, design thinking, whatever. And it takes a lot of power away from management. And if they're not into this and they are very much fighting this many places, then you have a problem. And it very much comes into who decides, for example, what is the policy in a municipality? Should it be the politicians in the citizen uh, council or the the city council, or should it be them together with, for example, the public? In Copenhagen, we have been working with creating new ways of collaborating with the public for years and years. The politicians put a lot of money into it, and maybe some of my colleagues would have more nuanced views on this. I don't think it. I can see any real signs of it changing the relationship. You basically present all these plans you have a public hearing people put in their their hearing and then you do what you actually plan to do anyway i guess and to create these new forums is really hard because even though the politician says we want to change we want to involve the public they're not willing to give away power for real and this is for me really interesting concept and you can use the same model when you talk about collaboration with the private sector the universities who can define what we should do in a given situation. And if the organizations are not willing to give a little bit of power away, then it's really hard. I think this is super interesting and I think we could easily go on for for much longer and um, let's let's see, maybe there's another episode somewhere on the horizon <laughs> following up on this. But I think it's super interesting to hear from you both in terms of um, what public sector innovation can do, where the limitations are, and um, especially now re- looking at the... Um, the last comments from from the the two of you referring to the elements that you see as key and um, if I try to sum them up that would be communication or translation there would be this element of trust and and honesty and also this element of power but if you would have to choose one silver bullet to make these collaborations work from say communication translation honesty and trust and power which Let's not use the term bullet, but which horse would you bet on? Okay, I think I can start. Okay, I'm a 
deeply believer in the urban prototypes. And the reason for the urban prototypes, and I call them urban prototypes because they are temporary interventions. So it's trying out some of these ideas that, you know, that have been brought up by the different groups and see what happens. And then we have some data, some information, something to work with. And when you have something to work with and then the the process becomes okay, I won't use the word easier, but you you have better arguments to to bring this forward. So, yeah, so I would say definitely working with urban prototypes and yeah, and and then there are things that are really difficult to measure, you know, like, and I think well-being is something that we're, you know, unfortunately, people, we talk a lot about it, but when you go really deep into it, how do you measure well-being is how people will define, right? But they, it does come up. And I've just heard recently about the Wellbeing Economic Alliance, you know, it's in Scotland, Iceland, and New Zealand, they are part of this. And I think this is fantastic. This is like, okay, we're looking at a different type of growth, right? We want well-being to be the, the top growth here. That's what we want. We, want. we don't want people to feel afraid if they're going to be, be able to pay their rent, if, like, or they'll be able to live in this city, or, you know, like, all of... So we are giving something else, right? And that's definitely linked to policies. But in order for these policies to happen, you need these trials, you know, these temporary trials. And in some... Uh, in some fields, in some areas, such as food, I think this, it's easier in the sense that, I mean, you do, you still have the same uh, wide range of stakeholders, but, you know, it's still something that's a bit more feasible than we were talking about the construction sector, because obviously you would need to do like temporary housings, you know, to try something out, which takes a little bit more, but it's still doable, you know, like it's a, it's a question of like, let's do this. Right. Let's see how we can play with these uh, new tools. Yeah. So I would say definitely we need more of that to create, because the thing is, if a, there is a lot of public support for a specific urban prototype for something that has been tried out, in the end of the day, this means votes. And votes count. Before I turn to Michael, Isabel, could you define what, what are urban prototypes? Sure. So urban prototypes is anything that's a temporary intervention in the city. So think about that you want to create a new bike lane, right? So people are saying, oh, we need better bike lanes or we need new bike lanes or we need wider bike lanes. So instead of installing a whole bike lane or you just create a temporary bike lane. So you create, you put like plant boxes define this bike lane. And the plant boxes will give the um, the edge, right? So no cars will cross that. This won't be... And it creates, like, a, a, a different route, right? So bikes will be trying that out. Like, and you can even... If you want to have some, like, smart data, you can put some sensors in these smart box... In these plant boxes so they become smart plant boxes, you know. And you create this... And let's see, is this, does this route work? How many people decided to take this route instead of the other and so on? And in terms of investment, from a city perspective, this is a very low investment in plant boxes. I mean, you know, like, I mean, so this is something that is, doesn't create, like, a, a huge uh, 
theft on the on the municipality, but you still can have like very good results and understand okay how does this work. So that's one example. Great, thank you so much. So Mikkel, what's the the horse that you're betting on? Yes, I'm, of course, I'm going to take the, the opposite perspective of Isabel uh, and talk about the long tail or the tail of implementation, I guess, because that's what I do for everyday living is basically take some of these insights that comes out and then try to make it into something that is domesticated or everyday life or something we don't think about anymore because then it's a success. And uh, and working in a, a big organization, as I've done for many years now, I know this takes a lot more labor than imagined. A lot of people, when we talk about innovation, asked us to define innovation, people always think about creating ideas. And ideas is just, you know, the first, you know, 5% or 2% of an, of an actual innovation process. And dealing with the, the the last part and how labor-intensive it is and how time-consuming it is and how long time you need, actually, to, to get to something that's actually implemented is, for me, the really interesting part. And and throughout the years, I, I switched a lot. I mean, I love design thinking. I think it's really interesting. But my main focus is so much on the systemic change and how you create systems that can actually implement this what we've been talking about today so for me focus on the long tail that would be that would be uh, my bet yeah so basically your horse is in the marathon distance and your horse is in the sprinting category well yes and no because i think you need actually need both right you cannot have the long tail without knowing about this work imagine if you create like you do a whole investment for 10 years into something and that's like the worst decision you ever made because you never tested upfront if this would work, right? We are suffering this problem right now, right? I mean, there are many exactly these decisions across the world that have been made, you know, for the next hundred years and oh, hello, actually, that's not the answer, right? So, so I think they definitely work hand in hand and I totally agree with him, like, because as I said, the urban prototype is the first step, but if you cannot, the next step is how do you make this linger or so then what are the next steps towards this? And this process, right, uh, as the, I work a lot with blueprints as well, right? So how do you bring this about? Is exactly towards not only the long term in one place, but how do you replicate this even in other locations as well? How can our learnings then go somewhere else? as well. So I think it's it goes hand in hand. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you wish to stay in the loop or participate in the Big Questions Little Time podcast, please subscribe on your usual platform or contact me, Center Manager Sarah Netta via sn.msc at cbs.dk. The music used in this podcast is Impossible Nothing by Crowender.